The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Amen. And good morning. Tough to preach after they said you got a degree in it. It's a little, little pressure-packed. I'm definitely not a master, though. So, um, If I do start coughing... Um, we can probably blame it on Ryan Stevenson, because uh, apparently there was a lot of coughing going on on this mic during class. Um, hopefully I don't catch anything, but thanks to um, Watson Boyd's pacifier wipes, I should be okay. <laughs> I did clean it off, so. so that is a blessing. It's good to be here with you this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here, visitors and guests and anybody tuning in. Um, it's, it's an exciting time at the Springs. There have been a lot of new faces around here and um, a lot of big things coming around the corner. Uh, one of those exciting things I wanted to let you in on is next week uh, we are going to be beginning a new sermon series called Go. Um, and it's going to be mission-focused, as uh, Ben Langford has said um, over the past couple of years here. You know, the church doesn't have a mission, but God's mission has a church. And so we're going to be focusing in on, on the concept of go, and we've actually got eight fantastic um, guest preachers who are going to come in. Um, I'll be doing the intro series next week, um, but so for the months of May and June, um, we've got some great people coming in from within and without the congregation, and uh, Ben and I will in turn be on our summer study break. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to a chance to take a couple months, um, kind of dig in and keep brainstorming and studying and uh, prepare ourselves for another season of preaching at the Springs. So Ben will be doing a little bit of traveling, doing um, some work in Uganda. I'll get to kind of turn my gaze back to the worship ministry um, again for a season. And so that's going to be a really, really great opportunity. But I'm excited about that Go series, so make sure you show up next week for the intro Sunday. Sunday. Um, and so before we jump in to go, we got a letter to finish up. We uh, started Ephesians, the mystery of us, back in January, and this morning is the final installment of that, and I've just, I've really enjoyed studying this book with you all, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to dig into the ending of it this morning, because we have reached the final chapter. We're in the final speech, the closing remarks and the closing address of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And like any great speech in television or film, it's great not just because of its rousing and inspiring nature, but it's also great because it brings back in all of the interesting themes that we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, so you can imagine uh, the scene of your, your favorite um, movie, your favorite sports movie, and the team is, is kind of gathered in the locker room. It's right before the big game, and you know they're waiting with bated breath, and the coach walks in, and he delivers this, this rousing address, this rhythmic speech that not only gets them inspired, gets them pumped up, but brings back in all of these themes that we've seen in the previous hour and a half. You know, and so the camera looks across the faces of, of the teammates 
And we think of all the obstacles that they've overcome, all the conflicts that they've faced already. And the coach delivers this resounding speech to send them out onto the field as one together. That's Ephesians 6. That is Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. It's, it's Paul gathering us in the heavenly locker room. Gathering us in this cosmic locker room and preparing us, reminding us of all the themes, of all this language from Ephesians chapters 1 through 5 and bringing it all back together. And so that's how I want us to hear this this morning as we dig into our text. As we dig into Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, pay attention to the words and the language that we've seen already in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes, finally... Be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason... Take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything, to stand, stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end, be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints, and pray for me also that I may be given the message when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul brings us back, he draws us back to all of these wonderful themes of Ephesians. To to this talk of mystery, of gospel, of salvation, of righteousness, of peace. And he does it all in battle imagery. He does it all by by bringing us into this, this warrior imagery, this imagery of the armor of God. And so we're going to take a look at our text this morning in that vein, in three different sections of this this battle preparation. We're going to look at the enemy. Look at the armor and the objective. The enemy, the armor, and the objective. So let's start with the enemy this morning. Uh, Paul, Paul brings back all this language, and notice especially the language about evil, about powers, about darkness in verses 10 through 12. He says, finally be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. 
you know, it's interesting. We live in a time and a place um, where this sort of language about spiritual warfare, this sort of language about, uh, you know, demons or, or darkness or powers is, is a little bit under suspicion for some. Not, not for all, but for some. Um, you know, there, there are some who, who kind of assume that science has, has disproven the supernatural, um, you know, and that it's kind of proven that the physical, the natural, the material is all there is. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that in reality, science is so wonderful and so effective precisely because it limits itself to questions of the natural. Science, by definition, limits itself to the physical, to the natural, and, and that's why, that's the precise reason uh, that it doesn't comment with authority on the supernatural. That's the precise reason why it doesn't comment, it comments on the physical rather than the metaphysical. And, and, and likewise, you know, this, this kind of assumption of, of naturalism really turns out to be um, kind of an ethnocentric Western construction, you know, because really in the history of the world, you know, in the history of, of human cultures and even across the world today, the majority of human cultures uh, still believe in some sense of the spiritual, some sense of even the demonic. And, and so I actually think that the, the Christian perspective on spiritual forces, uh, on darkness, on powers, is, is summed up pretty well in the words of C.S. Lewis, of course. In the preface to his book, The Screwtape Letters, he, in this oft-quoted little passage, he says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So there is an enemy. There is an enemy, but, but Paul is not trying to focus us on this enemy. Paul's not trying to focus us on evil. He's trying to focus us on avoiding it. Paul's not trying to focus us on the enemy. He's trying to focus us on avoiding the enemy. He's saying that Christ has defeated that enemy, therefore we can stand firm. You know, that, that Paul's kind of actually expanding the, this battle imagery. You know, he's saying that, hey, our battle's not flesh and blood. Our battle's not human wars. It's not these, these wars over land or resources. Our, our enemy is common. We have a common enemy, but he's been defeated by Christ, and that those powers have been subject, subjected through the resurrection to the powers of Christ, and they face even further and total subjection to Christ and God. So in the present, we don't have to fear. We can stand firm. In the present, we can stand firm in Christ. And I'm actually reminded of uh, the great reformer Martin Luther and that famous hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I love verse 3 of that hymn. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. 
one little word shall fell him. And indeed, one word has felled him. The word of Jesus Christ, the word of God. And so that word of God leads us into the next section of the battle, the next section of our text, and that's the armor. Um, so, so Paul, beginning in verse 13, he says, For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace, and in all this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, when you're a young kid in Sunday school, that passage is always one of the coolest in the New Testament. You know, it's like, swords, awesome, armor, you know? You know, and in fact, I think in one of our classrooms back there on the north wall, there's actually like a armor of God poster, like power rankings. It actually lists like, like each weapon and armor with its, its strength and mobility and agility and wisdom. And, you know, that, that's always been the coolest one. You know, and it's, it's such a memorable passage because it's this vivid imagery, you know. It's each weapon or piece of armor is personified with, you know, a different Christian virtue. And like so many passages in the New Testament, it's actually founded on the book of Isaiah. You know, it actually comes from Isaiah chapter 11 where he says, But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And it's such an arresting image. But actually over the past week, my mind has been drawn more with this passage to something other than the armor. I have noticed something more specific, and it's actually been the language of posture. Look at the text again. In verse 11, Paul says, Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then in 13 and 14, he says, For this reason... Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore. Stand, stand, stand firm. All of this this posture language is, is really just supported by this language of armor. And it's actually led me to believe that that Ephesians chapter 6 is Pauline power posing. Let me unpack that for a second. Pauline power posing. So, first of all, Pauline um, is basically just, you know, a word that scholars invented to, to talk about the study of the Apostle Paul or his New Testament letters. Um, in fact, I like to say that um, God changed Saul's name to Paul, and then scholars changed it to Pauline. Um, 
So, so Pauline power posing, what I'm, what I'm actually referring to is a TED Talk that maybe you've seen. Um, and it's a TED Talk about body language and about nonverbal communication and how, you know, we can not only we make judgments about other people based on their body language, but we can also tell things about ourselves through our own body language that it actually affects our own thoughts and feelings and physiology. Um, and so, so it's a researcher named Amy Cuddy. And um, basically the, the question they're asking is, you know, what she sees is that in humans and animals, when we feel powerful, we make ourselves big. You know, we stretch out. We open ourselves up. Um, they, they've actually seen that uh, this, this, you know, image of arms outstretched high and chin kind of tilted up, it's an image that, that humans make. Even people who've been born blind, who, who have won races or events, will make this pose. It, it's a high power pose. Stretched out, big. And in, in contrast, when we're feeling low power, we'll make low power poses. We kind of, we, we, you know, wrap ourselves up. We make ourselves small. Um, when you'll even like touch your neck. That's kind of a sign of vulnerability. And so what they wanted to do, you know, we know that our minds affect our bodies, right? When we're feeling low power, our bodies will reflect it. When we're feeling high power, our bodies will reflect it. But can our bodies affect our minds? Can our bodies affect our minds? And what the researchers have found is actually, yes, they can. Uh, so they took a group of people into the lab, and they had them each adopt either a high power pose or a low power pose um, for two minutes. And so what they found with the people who adopted high power poses is that um, their testosterone was up. You know, testosterone, the hormone of, of power or dominance, went up typically about 20% for people who were in this high power pose for two minutes. And not only that, but their cortisol went down. Cortisol is the hormone of stress. If you're feeling anxious or stressed, your cortisol is going to be up. Theirs went down, about 25% actually. And naturally, in contrast, the people who adopted a low power pose for just two minutes, their testosterone went down and their cortisol went up. And so Amy Cuddy, she, she says at the end of this TED Talk, she says, hey, spread this around to people, this life hack, and, and use it for yourself. You know, if you're going into a stressful situation, if you're going into a dramatic situation or an evaluation or a job interview, take two minutes and go into an elevator or your office or the bathroom and, and do one of these high-power poses, you know? Two minutes. And so that you can bring your best, most assured, confident self. And that's kind of how I'm hearing Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm hearing Paul, you know, exhort us with this Christian power posing. He's saying, you know, be strong in the Lord so you can stand. Stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm together. There's this language of posture. It's time to, to lower your Christian cortisol. To, to take down and put to death the anxiety and the fear, to put that to death, because Jesus has put it to death. And that's the thing. You know, there are two real main differences between power posing and, and what I'm calling Pauline power posing. And the first one is this, is that our power is in Christ. 
And so our power doesn't come from our own reserves. It's not this hormonal trick. It's not this life hack. It's, it's the power of the exalted Jesus Christ. You know, modern culture tells us to, to dig deep within ourselves, to find that power within. But Christianity says, find the power in Jesus. Find the power in Jesus Christ, and then find the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And the second difference is that Christian power posing, Christian power is not individual, it's communal. So we've seen this all throughout the book of Ephesians, and especially in this passage here. Our, our English translations don't say it very well, but all these imperatives, all these commands are plural. You know, so we might read them as putting on our own individual armor, but it's actually standing together. It's that language of all of Ephesians of one body, ligaments, parts together under the head of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Our power is communal. And he echoes this in Philippians, actually. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that brings us to our third and final objective this morning, our third and final section, and that's the objective Paul, we're asking, you know, what does the gospel actually look like? What, what is the objective of all this battle imagery of this spiritual warfare? It's peace. It's the gospel of peace. Remember, we're, we're not being equipped for an ordinary battle. Our, our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's bigger than that. It's this Ephesians cityscape cosmic view of salvation. So Paul says in verse 14, Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. You know, a lot of worldly wars have been fought in the name of peace. And there's a sad and dark and tragic irony to the amount of human blood that has been shed in the name of peace. But Paul's not kidding about this peace thing. Paul is not bluffing or scheming here. He really intends that the goal of all this spiritual warfare, the goal of this good news is, is the peace of the one body, the two sides that have come together. Remember back to Ephesians 2 where he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Do you hear verse 13 again? He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. 
You know, the truly Christian power pose is not arms lifted high, chin tilted slightly upward. First, it's the arms spread wide of Jesus on the cross. It's the arms spread wide of Jesus holding all things together, holding together the two groups. It's the arms spread wide of Jesus inviting the world into his sacrificial embrace. The arms spread wide of Jesus making peace and reconciling all things on the cross. That's where the Christian power pose begins. And then it goes to this, because he is risen. It's the posture we adopt when we take up our cross. It's the posture we adopt when we join his death in baptism and we're raised to new life. And that's the only reason that we can stand together as one new humanity before God our Father. So church, let's stand firm together and praise him this morning in song.